Last week, Pastor John kicked off our new series, Following Jesus, Discovering the Extraordinary Within the Ordinary, where we are following along with the disciples as we look throughout the Gospels and looking at ordinary people living ordinary lives, and when they follow Jesus, the extraordinary happened. And that continues to be true with us, that when we follow Jesus, the ordinary can become extraordinary. Now, also last week, John had you turn to someone seated close to you and answer a fairly non-threatening question, and we're going to do that again this morning. And so what I would like you to do uh, for the next 30 seconds or so is uh, turn to someone sitting close to you and tell them your favorite restaurant or one of your favorite restaurants, okay? So just turn to your neighbor and share your favorite, one of your favorite restaurants. I apologize if I started any fights about where you're going for lunch now. So that's happened. I'm sorry. But what you like about the restaurant, it could be it's probably something along the food or maybe the cost or the atmosphere. But regardless of what restaurant you picked, you picked it because it fulfills some desire in you. It fulfills something that you like. And the title of the message this morning is, What Are You Hungry For?, because that question kind of points to our desires, the things that we want. Um, we have um, natural and necessary desires, desires for food and drink and shelter, uh, but we also have desires for maybe things that are a little bit more uh, luxury-like, finer things in life, uh, finer food, luxurious homes or cars or those kinds of things. And we probably also have desires for things like power or wealth or fame or status. And deep down, it is our desires that drive us. And our desires drive us because unfulfilled desires are very, very painful. And we work hard to assure ourselves that we will not have unfulfilled desires. Even most of the time, you know, subconsciously, we're not thinking about our desires. They're just driving us. But Jesus comes to fulfill us in a different way. We've uh, asked Steve Swope to read the scripture for this morning. So, Steve, you make your way on up. If you are able, I'm going to ask you to please stand and face the center of the room. And uh, we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And so, Steve, whenever you are ready, please read from John chapter 6. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the very beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Steve, thank you very much. You may be seated. So to put this teaching into context a little bit, just before Jesus says these things, earlier in John chapter 6 is the story of the feeding of the 5,000, which was a high point of Jesus' earthly ministry. The scripture says that because of the miraculous signs he had performed in healing the sick, that a crowd of 5,000, and that's just the men, uh, came to see him. And so he has thousands of people coming to see him. And that's a making for a great political rally. There, thousands came. Jesus, this is great for the movement. Uh, earlier in John chapter 6, verse 14, it says this. After, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, which was the feeding of the 5,000, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is, come, who is to come into the world. You see, the Israelites desired to be free from Roman tyranny. And you'll notice that that uh, scripture said not a prophet, but the prophet, a prophet like Moses. The Israelites expected that one day, someday, a prophet like Moses would come, and he was referred to as the prophet. And what is it that Moses did? What was Moses known for? Well, Moses was known for rescuing the Israelites from the most powerful empire in the world, Egypt. And so if Jesus is the prophet, a prophet like Moses, then what do they expect of him? Well, surely they expect Jesus to rescue them from the most powerful empire in the world, Rome. A political savior, someone who can get us free food, economic utopia, and can meet our physical needs in an easier way. And the feeding of the 5,000 would have reminded the Israelites of the miracle of when God fed the Israelites in the desert with manna after the exodus in a miraculous way. And so it is in this background, at one of his biggest heights of popularity, that Jesus does the unexpected. He gives a teaching 
that drives people away. He talks about eating flesh and drinking blood. Look at the reactions to what it is he had to say. Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? It's a good question. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? That's another good question. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him, arguing, hard teaching, disciples quitting. See, the Israelites had desires for political freedom, economic prosperity, national glory. And they saw in Jesus someone who could fulfill those desires. But Jesus teaches something else. And in that teaching, they learned that following Jesus is hard because not only will he not necessarily give us what we want, but Jesus will challenge us to deny some of our desires. Jesus, the same guy who would say things like, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And even in this season that we call Lent, for those of us who are familiar with this part of the church calendar, this time leading up to Easter, and what is one of the traditions we do for Lent? Well, we give something up, something that we desire between now and Easter. We deny ourselves because denying ourselves is, a, is fundamental in following Jesus. And the bottom line is that following Jesus requires perseverance. Some of you are familiar with the parable of the sower where Jesus talks about seed landing on different kinds of soil. And there's one kind of soil that he talks about. It's the soil in rocky places. And he says in Mark chapter 4, others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Who desires trouble or persecution in the first place? Following Jesus requires perseverance. And who wants to go through the pain of self-denial? Following Jesus requires perseverance. And when we persevere to follow Jesus in everyday, ordinary things, the extraordinary happens. Again, if we were to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes where Jesus just taught about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Not only is that strange, on one level, it's just sick. Do you stay or do you go? And many of his disciples left. And so then Jesus turns to the 12 in verse 67, and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And then Simon Peter responds with something that I think is one of the most pivotal moments in Scripture, where Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's a pivotal moment. Where else are we going to go?
There is no place else to go. And so the 12 continued to follow Jesus, and the world was changed through them. As John said last week, some of these disciples were very gifted and some were very ordinary. But Jesus sent them into the world with ordinary instructions. Instructions like, say what I say. Live how I lived. Teach what I taught. And challenge others to place their trust, their faith in me, and do the same thing you are doing. And through those relatively ordinary instructions being followed out, the rest is history. Because those ordinary guys and gals did the extraordinary. They changed the world. The message of Jesus spread through the Roman Empire like wildfire. And over the last 2,000 years, billions and billions have placed their faith in Jesus. And everyone who has followed them since has had a hand in changing the world. Each and every one of us who have trusted Jesus in our everyday life, we've had a hand in changing the world. Let's just look around in the Magic Valley. What would happen if we were to take all the followers of Jesus out of the Magic Valley? How dramatically different would this place be? You know, I'm just, I'm just familiar with what TFRC does and the different people we partner with and the things we do, whether it's the Magic Valley Chaplains or Christmas Assistants or Grow Hope Refugee Garden or the Sow Hope Refugee Sewing Class or the Jubilee House or Magic Valley School of Performing Arts or the Mustard Seed or Prison Aftercare or Stanton Healthcare, which used to be the Pregnancy Crisis Center or Valley House. And all of these are just the ones that we partner with or are a part of because there are lots of Christ followers here in the Magic Valley doing all sorts of ordinary things that have extraordinary results. And if we were to take them all away, the Magic Valley would be a much darker place. The Magic Valley is blessed through followers of Jesus doing ordinary things. But it takes perseverance. Many disciples walked away, the scripture tells us. And I just wonder, whatever became of them? What were they ever a part of? You know, maybe they just kept looking for political freedom, economic prosperity, national glory, desires that would never be fulfilled. And even if they would have, they wouldn't have made the same impact that following Jesus did. When we persevere to follow Jesus, temporary fulfillment is replaced by eternal life. You see, what happens when we pursue our desires? Well, the best case scenario is that our desires are fulfilled. But even when they're fulfilled, it's only temporary because sooner or later we are left once again feeling empty. Best case scenario is temporary fulfillment when we chase after our desires. And when they're not fulfilled, when we don't get what we want. And again, many of our desires are good. They're not all bad. So when we don't get that job or promotion or raise or we lose a job 
or when our farms and homes flood, or when a marriage or friendship ends, or when loved ones face serious illness or death. Things like disappointment and depression and disillusionment, we call them desert experiences. Verse 57, 58, Jesus says, Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. See, after the Israelites were freed from Egypt in the Exodus, and they were led into the desert by God, it is there that God gave them the manna to eat. And the manna given to them by God sustained them in the desert, but even those died. Jesus offers eternal life, life that sustains and provides and fulfills both in life and in death forever. And eternal life is given when we place our faith in Jesus. And if you've never done that, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, maybe you haven't been to church much or, or you have, but you've never really made faith personal, I want to challenge you to place your faith in Jesus. And if you want to do that or you have some questions about that, I invite you to come up here, talk with me after the service. I'll be up, up front here. And we can come and come chat. But eternal life is given when we place our faith in Jesus. But the fullness of eternal life is not experienced instantly. It's not instantaneous, but something that needs to be worked out. Philippians 2 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. See, the difference between working out salvation and working for salvation is working it out is simply the discovery process of what exactly does this eternal life look like? How do I experience it? What will it be like? And there are things that give life, things like love and joy and peace, where we become people of integrity, people of loyalty, people of endurance, where we have compassion, sympathy, and self-control. Those are the things that are results of eternal life. Those are the things that give life. And so regardless of what happens to us in this life, God is at work in us for those kinds of things. So we don't work for eternal life, Jesus gives it to us freely. We just have to believe in him. But the Spirit of God is working in us as we work it out. And that takes perseverance. It's worth persevering for. And we also persevere to follow Jesus because it's a lifelong commitment. It's not a one-time commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. Again, ordinary desires, what do we do? We jump from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And what Jesus teaches about following him is really rather extraordinary. Where he says in verse 51, 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Again, if you take that literally, it's cannibalism, which, no joke, that was one of the accusations of the early church was that they're a bunch of cannibals because the Jesus who they follow talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That was one of the challenges the early church had to overcome. But Jesus was talking metaphorically. The miracle of feeding the 5,000 was a sign. Again, going back to John 6, 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. The sign that Jesus performed. Signs, are th they point to something other than themselves. That's what signs do. And there's all kinds of signs. There's street signs, there's business signs, there's safety signs, there's advertising signs. And again, they all point to something other than them. In fact, signs don't even have to be literal signs. Uh, the comedian Jeff Foxworthy, he made a living coming up with signs that you might be a redneck, right? You might be a redneck if. And what's great about that routine is you can just copy it. You can substitute redneck with anything and come up with different signs. So you can use like, you might be an Idahoan if, or you might be into CrossFit if, or you might be a Chicago Bears fan if. You know, like if your football team goes into hibernation every fall, it's, it's a sign you're a Chicago Bears fan. If, oh, it wasn't that harsh. Holy cow. I got two more. If your football team's favorite breakfast pastry is a turnover, it's a sign you, you might be a Chicago Bears fan. And if you teach your dog to roll over and play dead by having it watch your football team on TV, it's a sign you're a Chicago Bears fan. Okay, those may not be the best way to help you clarify what a sign is, but that was kind of fun. All right. Signs, signs though, really are powerful. And I'll just give a rather mundane illustration of this. Um, countless times, I don't know how many times, my family and I have driven down the 93 through Nevada on our way to Southern California. Many, many times. And, and we take, so we take the 93, and when you hit Ely, you take the 6, and then the 6 to the 318, and the 318, you hook up with the 93 again. How many of you have done this trip? I know many of you have, yes. So you guys know what I'm talking about. This drive is a long drive. It's a desolate drive. Um, and, you're, and when you're out in the middle of nowhere, which you are for most of the drive, you are on your own. You do not want to break down on the 93 because it's desolate with like every two hours you come, you come to some kind of town. But that's it. You are on your own. And it's a long drive. Now, about 40 miles south of a place called Alamo, uh, you will drive by this. Um, uh, some of you know what this is because you've driven by it. It's Coyote Springs. Some, now, this is like 50 miles outside of Vegas, and Alamo is a town of like maybe a couple hundred, and it's 40 miles south of that. Somebody thought it would be a great idea to build a golf course out in the middle 
of nowhere. And I guess it's a pretty nice golf course. I've never been on it, but people have told me it's a nice place. Now, what I love about driving by this place is that it's a sign to me because real close to the Coyote Springs is this sign. It's a sign telling me it's 50 miles to Vegas, which means it's 30 miles to the I-15, which is a big deal to me because at this point in the trip, we've been driving for seven hours in the middle of nowhere, just thankful we haven't broken down. And now I know I'm 30 miles from the I-15. Again, 50 miles to Vegas, but 30 miles to the I-15. Back with civilization. And it's a powerful marker to me. I get a renewed sense of energy just going by these signs because I know I'm close. It lets me know that we are almost out of the desolation just by passing the sign. Signs are powerful. Now, Jesus feeding the 5,000 was a sign. And Jesus' teaching about eating his flesh is a teaching about eternal life. It's not about eating his flesh. It's about accepting his sacrifice on the cross by faith. It's being incorporated into the community of faith, his body. It's being crucified with him, which means we will need to deny ourselves. And then it means living in him and him living in us, which means we live how Jesus lived knowing that he is with us every step of the way. And these are lifelong commitments, commitments that take perseverance. And because following Jesus is hard, and because it takes perseverance, Jesus knows we need encouragement along the way. And so he gives us something ordinary, something that we call communion. It's bread and it's juice that we eat and drink together in remembrance of Jesus. Communion is a sign that it's a sign of what Jesus did for us and it's a sign that Jesus is with us and it's powerful. Jesus uses it to encourage us, to strengthen us. It's a way of telling us, hang in there Keep persevering. Something as ordinary as bread and juice gives us the strength to do the extraordinary, the strength to persevere in following Jesus. Because following Jesus is hard. And we need the help, and we need the encouragement. And communion points to something that gives us strength. And it's also a great time to pray and reflect. And so we're going to partake in communion here very shortly. And as we do so, there's a couple things I just want you to keep in front of you during the sacrament. One is to be praying for a heart to persevere in following Jesus. And then be praying for an opportunity this week to persevere in following Jesus. And then be looking for, sometime this week, an opportunity to persevere in following Jesus. And when that opportunity comes, take it. Take it.